Mac Power Users, Episode 120. Note-taking. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. And we're joined today by Mike Rohde, who is the author of the Sketchnote Handbook, and an expert in this idea of note-taking and sketchnoting. And welcome, Mike. We're just thrilled to have you with us. Yeah, you know, Mike, I have to admit, I was just really excited when you said you were going to come on the show because I'm a big fan of yours. And uh, for those of you who don't know Mike, um, he's a, a UI designer. So he's a, you know, he's a certified nerd like the rest of us. But Mike has built this whole um, uh, idea around a word called sketchnoting. And um, I guess we're going to, in this show, we're going to talk about what Mike does. We're also going to talk about digital note-taking and kind of compare the two. But Mike, before we start anything, I'd like you to just kind of explain a little bit about what sketchnoting is. Well, the, the idea of sketchnoting came to me about roughly five years ago. And I, it's, as it turns out, I did it in high school and college, but forgot about it as I got into business because I was so focused on text that I, I got into this rhythm of taking super detailed text notes, um, either typewritten or very often uh, handwritten, and I would handwrite these things in pencil with uh, a giant book. And I w the way I approached notes back then was I would, I would almost try and capture every detail that I could. So I would try and listen, capture everything, and it just became kind of a burden. It was a lot of work to ca capture these notes. And the funny thing was I, I look back and I'd never really referred to them after I took them. So they had a little value while I took them. But after that, they were more or less worthless because they were so dense, it was difficult to go back and find anything in them. Um, the text notes that I typed were maybe a little better because you could search them. But I was really still into this tactile note-taking and wanted to do some of that. Um, so I got to the frustration point near the end of 2006 and in early 2007, I decided to do something different. I found a, a Moleskin. I had bought a Moleskin sketchbook at, uh, I think, Barnes & Noble, and it was sitting around on my desk, and I just never knew what to do with it. I loved the book. I loved the paper, but I just really you know, had no purpose for it, so it just kind of sat around, and as I sat there in the beginning of 2007 and knew about this event coming, I thought, well, what would be the most opposite thing I could do from a giant book with pencil? Well, that would be probably that sketchbook right there, so I picked it up. And then I thought, what would be the opposite of pencil? And that would probably be a gel pen, because once you put marks on paper, it's hard to go back. You can't erase them. You just have to work through them or just accept that you made a mistake and be okay with it. So that's what I did. I went to a, a user experience conference in Chicago, and I had a great time. I, I used um, drawings and text and uh, objects and icons and, and made use of all these visual elements in my notes instead of being limited to just text. I could expand and use very simple drawings, and I love typography, so I would integrate the typography into the notes, and um, it was a lot of fun to do. And as it turned out, when I shared them, uh, the attendees at the event really liked them, including the speakers, and even people who hadn't attended the event thought they were a, uh, an interesting way of capturing uh, the notes from that event and seeing it from a different perspective. So in a nutshell, it's um, note-taking with uh, with visual at, uh, elements added in there. So, you know, it's funny, Mike, because I've always been, I guess what you would call a noodler, you know, when I'm on the phone with somebody mm -hmm. or sitting somewhere, I hang up and I look at the piece of paper in front of me and there's all kinds of stuff on it and not necessarily words. Um, 
like in the in my day job, one of the big things you do as a lawyer sometimes you do the, what they call a motion for summary judgment. It's like, like a terminating motion hmm. where if you win it, they don't even get their day in court and the day ends. And do not pass go. Do not collect yeah. two hundred dollars. Hmm. So uh, we have these calendar meetings in my office and. Like I always catch myself, I, without almost subconsciously when I'm, I've got a motion for summary judgment on the calendar, I, I draw little, um, nuclear clouds next to them, (laughs) you know, and just things like that. And everybody's always like making fun of me for my little diagrams. And then when I saw, you know, Mike Rohde's, um, sketch noting, I'm like simpatico, man, this is it. I got to talk to this guy. So, so I, I get it, but I've never really figured out how, if this is just me wasting time or if this is something helping me. And then that, you know, that's the discussion I'd like to have with you today. And then Katie's got a kind of a different angle from Katie. Why don't you describe what, you know, what you're bringing to this? Yeah. You know, it's interesting what you said. I've, I've never been much of an analog note taker, I guess is is Mm. what we'll call it. Although all throughout my younger years and all throughout my college years, that was the only option. It it really wasn't until I got into law school uh, that I ever used a laptop to take notes in any kind of class. And I don't ever remember referring back to my analog notes. I remember I took them and and per- I've been blessed with a, a very good memory. Um, perhaps the fact that I took the notes in class reinforced my memory, but I don't ever remember going back to my handwritten notes or, or very rarely going back to my handwritten notes to study because you make a great point is, is, is how do you go back and collect these and how do you go back and find these? I mean, Maybe making the notes was of some benefit, but it wasn't really until I was in law school and created outlines on computers that I could go back and mm. and search and go back and consolidate and go back and reformat that I, I really found any notes that I took in class to be useful. And this is still an area that I find in my adult life and in my law practice that I have a problem with. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take a legal pad into a meeting with a client. I'll take a few notes. And then it will very quickly get lost on my desk and, and maybe it'll make it into the file and maybe I'll refer back to it. But uh, maybe, again, the act of taking the note may help me remember something. But I find more often than not that these these scraps of paper with my scrawlings on them uh, either end up cluttering my desk or, or end up in the trash. So I, I'm desperately searching for a better way. I don't know uh, whether sketchnoting will be it for me or or whether one of these other systems, because we've had a lot of people – right in with, you know, how can I use some of these technologies and devices that I use uh, to, to take better notes? It's a problem I've been struggling with. So that's kind of what I'm going to try to bring to the table today is, um, you know, taking it from a digital standpoint of, of getting these notes, whether it's taking the analog and digitizing them or whether it's starting with the digital note to begin with. Hmm, interesting. That's an interesting hey, challenge. Hey, hey, quick war story, Mike, talking about taking notes in school. Uh, I think it was like 1987. I was in, in college taking organic chemistry. And I wasn't a chemist and I never will be, (laughs) but I was, I was totally freaking out. And the teacher says, okay, you can have, or the professor says, you can have one page of notes for the final exam, one sheet of paper. So I, I got back in those days, we had these super wide uh, dot matrix printers. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember or not. It's like, it was like three sheets of paper on one. And I printed one out, I tore it off and, um, I think I even left the little, you know, rings on the edge because I didn't know if I'd use them or not. And I filled that thing up front and back with the smallest, you know, printing I could ever fill. <laughs> and I show up for the exam and the, t- and the professor walks by my desk and he looks down and he says, that's not exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then the, uh, the following semester, a friend of mine took the class and the syllabus said, um, 
you will have one page of eight and a half by 11 lined college rule paper for notes in the final. I, I like to think that was for me. So you were gaming the system even then? I, I guess that was the first indication that I was headed towards law. You had a future maybe. in law, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Anyway. And and I guess the question is, did that even help? or, or um, I don't know. You know, were you so remember. busy searching that that gargantuous page for information that you ran out of time and didn't finish the test. But it was it was a type of sketch noting. Again, it was, you know, notes and things. And maybe just to give you kind of my take on sketch noting, uh, and I want Mike to talk about it more because I think this is something everybody should look into. And uh, you know, like Katie, when I sit down with somebody, um, taking written notes of what they're saying to me is very inefficient and ineffective. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't I'm not good at it. And uh I get, I start obsessing on what I'm missing and then I start trying to write down things so I can read it later in some type of fashion. And I don't get, you know, as a result, I'm not listening to what they say and I get paid for listening to people. So that's bad. And, um, and I'm using a lot of the technology we're going to talk about later in the show to, to do something else. But for things when I'm speaking and I actually shared one of my, I guess what you would call sketch notes with Mike is, when I go in to make a, a court presentation is a good example, um, and it's not like examining a witness but as much as like arguing a motion, which is something lawyers do quite often. You have something in front of the judge and you've got to go in and the judge will start firing questions at you. I'll make a one-page sheet where I, I summarize the key things to me and I draw you know nuclear clouds and hammers and shields and just all kinds of little iconography into that. And the reason I do it is because, number one, the process of of making it kind of drills it into my brain better. And because it's a geographical type document, I can look down at – if the judge asks me a question, I can very quickly get to the little nugget that I want off that piece of paper. And um, I've been doing that in a little bit, but then I read Mike's book and it like totally upped my game. And I've never been good at doing artwork. I've, you know, all all of my sketches are always stick figures. But uh, Mike's book, in addition to giving me some good inspiration, have also really kind of upped my art game. So there's exercises in there and things you can do. Even if you're completely, you know, unartistic uh, like me, you can probably get something out of this. So I, I just think it's a, a really super idea, Mike. I'm glad you did this book. And Mr. Sparks, are you taking those notes on eight and a half by eleven college rule paper? <laughs> No, actually, I just I put it on a piece of graph paper generally. Okay. I think I'm the only guy in the courthouse that likes graph paper, but man, I love graph paper. Yeah, that could be a nice uh, structure, underlying structure that you can use yeah. or not based on your situation. That's it's an interesting use of the idea of sketchnoting, and that's one thing I'm finding now that the book's released. You start seeing people talking about how they're using it in their own situation and, and asking questions like, can I use this to you know, sketchnote ideas from a book I'm reading? Because the book that I wrote was really focused on how do you apply these ideas to taking notes in meetings, because that's maybe something a lot of people do. But there's certainly applications all over the place, and you've already cited one. There was a physician, a clinician, who wrote a review of the book, and he really loved it. And it turns out that he loves this idea of sketch noting for kids. He's a pediatrician, and kids come in, they don't understand what an obstructive bowel is or what ha- what have you. And so he's got... um whiteboards all over his office and he gets out his um, dry erase markers and he draws what's going on so that the kids and the parents understand. And he said he finds that very helpful for them. And so there's another application that's not necessarily capturing notes in a meeting, but it's turning it into a presentation tool. So I think at the heart of it all is this idea of visual thinking 
And you mentioned, too, um, the idea of not being necessarily an artist. And those were the people that I really wanted to reach to. I think I've reached quite a bit with just the work that I've done to the people who are already artists and made connections with them. But I felt like there was a whole group of people who felt maybe stuck as non-artists feeling like, well, if I can't draw, then I can't do sketch notes. And so there was a really heavy emphasis on two ideas. One was it's about ideas and not art. And then the second approach uh, later in the book was how do you then help people who are not artists actually produce drawings, simple drawings. And so we go into the five basic shapes, which is a square, circle, triangle, line, and a dot. And with those elements, if you start thinking of objects of all kinds, you can start drawing them with those shapes stacked or pieced together or drawn together. And what it does is it breaks drawing down into a really simple exercise. Instead of being a thing about art, it's a functional thing about capturing your ideas in a simple way. Yeah, I do. Go ahead, Katie. Well, I was I was going to ask you just to before we dig any deeper in this, take a step back and and give me an example of of what a sketch note for for people maybe who are, are I mean obviously this is an audio podcast and now you've got some great visual resources on your website that I would encourage people to go see, but to the best that you can in, in an audio show, um, give me an idea of okay I'm sitting in a meeting and and you can pick the context but you know I'm sitting in a meeting and I want to do a sketch note uh, given the any particular topic of that meeting, what might a page of sketch notes look like for people who still haven't quite got this concept? Well, it um, it would certainly be comprised of handwriting. Um, I think text is a big part of it still. It's not abandoning text in any way. It's really like text plus one. So you're you're not limiting yourself to the written word or verbal, but you're actually expanding it out to, let's say, if, uh, you know, David was talking about in his, in his, uh, use of sketch notes, he draws uh, a nuclear cloud. For him, that's got a meaning. So that's, in a sense, an icon, but that's a simple drawing. And then, uh, you know, you can emphasize different sections by still using lettering, but maybe it's hand lettering. So it looks like typography. So you're drawing bigger letters, you know, size and hierarchy also come into it. So you can, by the size of the object and the place underneath, you know, the header or whatever, you can provide some structure um, hierarchically is that even a word? <laughs> You're almost there. I yeah. think it's hierarchically. Hierarchically. Which is, man, that's a lot. It's a lot of work. So, there, yeah. So, I mean, there. you know, th- those are certainly some of those things are advanced. But I think at the very basic level, a sketch note would look like handwriting with mixed with drawings and maybe hand-drawn lettering to emphasize some sections. And it would be sort of, you know, in a logical flow. I tend to do mine in a linear fashion. So I like a book flows. So I go left page, right page. And a lot of that has to do with the the pocket moleskins that I use. But in the book, I mentioned other people use a variety of other things. You can use, you know, good old letter paper, uh, you know, legal pad and a ballpoint pen. You don't have to have fancy tools to do this. It certainly makes it nicer when you have those. Um, but, you know, many sketch noters like spiral books because they can always lay flat and they're maybe a little bit bigger. So if you tend to draw or write bigger, it gives you space to work with. Um, So it really depends on how you, when you take this idea, how you apply it. And so it's really just a mix of text and and images on a page. And if we work in an office or or a collaborating environment where where maybe um, I'm going to a conference, but but you're going to benefit from this, or uh, you're a colleague of mine and and you may be in a position to, to pick up this project from me, 
is it necessary that that it, my sketch notes are are going to be meaningful or useful to you? I think to some degree, I you know, of course, first it's personal because you're producing it for yourself. Um, it's also, you know, one of the other big ideas behind sketch noting is to let go of the detail and focus on the key ideas. And so the purpose there was, I realized when I went to these conferences. Really, when I came home, there were maybe ten really big ideas that moved me to do something different. Right? They may have, I may have been in many, many, you know, presentations for hours and hours. But as it, by the time you got done, whether you took notes or not, you'd probably have about maybe ten, twelve ideas, big ideas, if even that, that you would take away and try and make, you know, an impact in your work or your life. And so, to go the opposite way of capturing every detail was to focus on the big ideas and capture those so that you can let some of the things that aren't as important or that don't resonate with you. So I think at first they're personal, but I think even though they're personal, I think they can have value, um, especially if it's viewed by someone else who's at that event. Um, maybe for a colleague, maybe there would be some detail lost in that, but you know, there are options to use tools that I will probably talk about later, like audio recordings, if someone wanted to hear some of that information or if someone else was doing, you know, full on typewritten, you know, like live blogging kind of things. And then the combination of those, of those things could provide a, a broad and deep uh, capture of that event if that's really what your focus was. But I think primarily it's personal. And then from there, you know, it's got value as well out for other people as well. Have Have you shifted completely to sketch noting as a form of note taking these days or are there certain... Um, types of subjects that you find it lends itself better to than others. Would you, if you went to a particular type of meeting or a particular type of conference, would you maybe switch to a different style of note taking and not do sketch noting, or, or or have you have you switched to this full time? I use it as uh, one of the one of the tools in my toolboxes. Um, I I like it quite a bit. I use it mainly for conferences. I've actually because I'm kind of crazy about this stuff. I'm always trying to see where it can be applied. So. I'm curious about hearing things like David said in his law in his law practice, but one of the ideas that I challenged myself with once was, can I take sketch notes of a trip that I'm taking? And so I did that, and it worked out quite well. It turned into a sketch noted travelogue. So there's sort of a mix of drawing oh, yeah. and lettering and, and imagery. So it helps me remember what it was that I experienced. But I write regular notes as well in a notebook if it's in a meeting. Um, one of my favorite tools is uh, Pear Note, which records audio as well as my typing. And in some cases, you know, typing notes makes more sense. If I'm looking for a really granular detail, that's really, really difficult to beat, especially if you can blend it with the audio and then tie those, sync those two together at the same time. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty uh, agnostic as far as what you use. And I think sketchnoting can fit into uh, someone's workflow depending on what their situation and what it is they're trying to achieve. But I would say that it's not a, it's not a black and white sketch noting or nothing kind of situation. I think it's uh, for the right appropriate situations, which is really about capturing ideas, you know, at a conference or uh, where you're, where you're talking about broad, big, big ideas that it might be valuable. Although, you know, I've made the comment before too, that uh, you might not want to take um, sketch notes at a, say a board meeting, but then uh, no sooner that I said that than uh, someone who read the book went to, I think they were in Centralia, Washington, and were on, uh, were on the board and actually took sketch notes of the board meeting. And they looked pretty pretty good. I mean, he was capturing the broad ideas because he was an attendant. I, I suppose maybe the secretary would have to have a little more granular detail. So in that case, 
you know, that person might have to go and use, you know, regular typing or, or shorthand or whatever it is that they would use to capture that kind of detail. But I'm, I've been surprised at what sketchnoting, the, the level of detail that people can get when they get proficient with it. You know, just sitting here thinking about it, it seems to me there's kind of two vertices of, of issue. The first one is the level of detail you need to capture. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes you might sit down and need to know, like, let's say you're taking minutes for a board meeting. You really need to have everything that happened and who voted for what. And I'm not sure it works. Uh, and then the other piece is whether you are uh, merely an attendee or a participant. Like if you sat down with a, 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 just one or two people, I think sketching would be difficult because they'd think that you're drawing pictures and not listening to them. And I'm not sure how that would work, but you know, like you said, I'm sure there's somebody out there doing it. So, so we'll be hearing from them, but, but the idea of attending a conference or, um, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know. And it's funny cause the, the angle I took for it was, it was something kind of completely different from attending a meeting at all. Um, and it really, I think it's, it's made my game a little better and that's what I'm always trying to do. So I'm thankful for it in that way. And, and, you know, I think that the idea of, of your ability as an artist is really irrelevant and I'm not sure why it is, but it seems like art in particular is a thing where you decide very early in your life that you're either an artist or you're not. Um, and you, at that point you just make a decision and you go forward. And I think that's one you know thing a lot of people will say, well, I'm not an artist, I don't draw. And I think a lot of people are willing to say that and just stop there. And uh, Mike's book doesn't really turn you into you know a world-famous artist. It, what it does is it gives you the tools you need to make nice little, little illustrations and diagrams, which is, is really helpful in my daily life. And I think there's a lot of other people that may find it as too. So it's really a good fit. And I, I encourage you to go check this book out. We're going to put the links in the show notes and, and uh, support Mike. And if you have any interest in this, I think you'll probably get your money's worth pretty quickly. It, it, not, it, not to mention it's just a gorgeous book with nice thick paper and color pages. And I, I think you did a great job on it, Mike, you know, well, thanks. Uh, my team at Peach Pit really helped a lot. So I have to give them a lot of credit as well. Well, and I just look at this book, you look through it, every page is hand drawn or almost every page and it's just so much work. Did you hand draw all the lettering too, or is that done with a computer? That's an interesting story. Um, I reached out through a friend and met a guy named Dove Will- Witherington. He's out in California and he builds types, type, typefaces for a living. And I okay. approached him about, uh, hey, would it be possible for you to, to uh, digitize my handwriting and uh, you know, headline font so that I could use it to build this thing. Cause this is the 224 page book is a lot of work. And even with all the front matter and back matter, and I, we had 15 featured sketch noters who also deserve a lot of credit who each had a spread. Even so that's quite a lot of pages. And um, it was probably the best decision I made early on was approaching Delve and he made a production uh, font for, from my handwriting and then also a headline font as well that helped me, produce the book and man, I can't, I can't imagine what it would be like without those two elements to hand draw all that stuff would be kind of crazy. But every page was touched by me and I built everything in uh, Photoshop. So, uh, and all the drawings were done by hand and scanned in and, and brought in and laid out. And so it was, uh, it was quite a, quite an intricate process. And I suppose not every author writes and illustrates their and produces their own book because I did all the production work as well. So I did it all the way from the beginning to the end and was uh it was a heavy duty undertaking and that font really made the difference and I should mention that we're working Delve and I are working 
to uh, toward a spring release of the font as a family. So we'll have, uh, I think we're thinking about a, a regular italic and a bold and, um, and the headline font as some kind of a family together. So you can go to all the, you know, font shop or all those kind of places and, and pick up a copy of that when we have it ready to go. You know, I want to get that and put it in my dragon dictate. So my dictate, <laughs> it looks like Mike's writing it down. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> I already know I'm in, I am so in, Hey, you know, let's talk about some, some technology elements of note taking, but before we do that, let's talk about our first sponsor, one password. Yeah, David, you know, we've been talking about the virtues of 1Password, and most of our listeners know by now why it is so important to use a unique password for every website because if if a website gets compromised and you're just repeating that same password over and over again against across multiple websites, you've just uh, set yourself up to be compromised across multiple sites. It happens. It happens all the time. And and I, I had a listener write me in recently and say, you know, I, I get it. I, under, I understand this whole password philosophy of, of using strong, unique passwords, of rotating those passwords regularly, of not um, creating passwords and using them again across the same site. Um, but what about my parents? Or, or even you could say, what about my kids? People who are older, people who are younger, um, people who maybe aren't um, – you know, the the technology is something that they've learned later in life or, or they're not as comfortable with it. You know, is an app like 1Password simple enough for my parents who are in their, you know, 60s and 70s who are still using computers to use? Um, because I know that I even have had this problem with my parents before I had to ha- sit down with them and have a conversation um, that, you know, they weren't using a program like 1Password and they were just repeating the same password across multiple sites. The The running joke with my brother and I is, need to get into one of mom and dad's stuff. Well, it's either this password or that password. Take your pick. <laughs> and I guess my my answer to this is, you know, as as with most things, it's just so important that that you sit down and you have a conversation and you educate people because nobody who is really not ded- dedicated into to learning these things is going to want to sit down and learn a new program if they don't have to. I mean, you and I think one password is neat and cool, but but, you know, someone like your parents or your grandparents, maybe they don't want to learn one more new thing or maybe they're happy with their computer the way they are. So what is the motivation first and foremost for getting their attention to use that new system? Um, and I think that comes through education. And it, it really starts with the Mac Power users listeners of, of reaching out to your friends and family members and sitting down with them and saying, we need to have a conversation. And, and first, you need to understand why this is a problem. You need to understand what bad things can happen and once you get them nervous about that, because I know the seniors in my life are particularly security conscious, and once they dis- uh, understand that everything can be gone and all kinds of bad things can happen, uh, then they'll be much more receptive to using a system like One Password. And to answer your question, the the actual application system itself is not hard to use. There's some great tools on the One Password website. Don McAllister's done a series of screencasts for them. I know he recently. Uh, produced a screencast on the new version for iOS app. Um, but 1Password as an application is not hard. There's not a big learning curve. But for anybody who maybe doesn't want to learn a new system, it just takes some motivation. Yeah, and it is worth getting over that hump. You know, you, you have to get them to understand the importance of it so they'll take the time to learn it and, you know, go out there and help the people in your family and your friends because they need it. They need it. Uh, 
One Password is currently available for uh, the Mac. You can find it in the Mac App Store. It's currently version 3.0 for Mac. But if you pick it up through the Mac App Store, you'll get a free upgrade to version 4 when it comes out for the Mac a little bit later. Uh, the iOS version just released, brand new, version 4.0. That is a new app, so you'll want to go grab it from the uh, iOS App Store. And uh, Dave and I have been using it and loving it. A lot of great new feature enhancements in version 4 for iOS. And uh, if you're a Windows user too, uh, Android, whatever your your uh, platform of choice is, uh, go check out their website at onepassword.com, and they've got a little something for everybody. So thanks, One Password, for your continued support of the show. All right, Mike. Um, you know, there, there's kind of a crossover now. We've talked about sketchnoting, but there's some people who just take notes traditionally with, like for the longest time, until very recently, in fact, I would just carry a... Um, a um, in my pocket, a little notebook where I could write notes down. I, I didn't use the um, the moleskin so much as I used the uh, field guides. Or I'm sorry, the field notes. Mm-hmm. Field guides is something entirely different. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to write in the field guides. <laughs> but the um, but and those were great, and I, I think they're nice. I like that they say field notes on them because I grew up with Indiana Jones and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. You know, makes me feel like I should be you know have a whip at my belt at the same time. Uh, but uh, I've, I'm not using that as much. Now, do you use those types of tools in your day-to-day stuff? You know, I do. Um, I found that uh, Moleskine now makes these little tiny pocket notebooks. They're softbound. Um, they're, I don't know what size they are, maybe two by four or something. I find them great because they're just a little bit smaller than my iPhone 4S, and I keep it in my pocket. What I use it for, it seems really mundane, is to write little notes down, and what's nice about them is they're perforated uh, sheets, so as you, if you need to write something down for someone, you don't want to give a card to them or something, you can write a little note on these, on these uh, little notepads and then tear the sheet out and give it to them. And, um, I, I beat them up. Mine is totally beat up in my pocket. I started out with the field note size books, which I liked, um, but I wanted something a little bit smaller. And I found these, uh, I think at, at a bookstore, these little ones. And the other thing that I do is, uh, when I, when I work downtown, I work downtown in Milwaukee three days a week. Um, one of the things I have to do is park in a parking garage and it has these little, uh, like a little card that it generates when you go in, I throw that in my little notebook. Um, and then I have a stash in my pocket of, uh, of cards to get out. So they're like, you know, validation cards. I'll take two of those. Cause I know that's how many it takes to get out of the garage. And I put them behind the uh, card I took in the morning. So when it's time to go out, I can just pull out my little notebook and everything's ready to go. I pop them into the little, uh, receiver and, and, in a way I go. So it's sort of a functional thing in that sense. And I also, I'll keep people's business cards in there because it keeps them from getting dog-eared in my pocket until I can get home and, and put them in a place where after I enter them, I can put them in a place to store them. So it's sort of, it's a little bit functional. And then I also use it for taking notes of things or drawing little tidbits as I go along. So uh, that's, that's what I use. And I, I that's, that's a great idea. You know, I, I've stumbled on these, um, and I know this is very luxuriant buying myself these things, but they're called frictionless capture cards. Have you guys ever heard of these? Yeah. It's, uh, um, is that Aaron Mankey's uh, system? Exactly. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron is, you know, he's kind of built this brand around this frictionless thing. And he came out with these note cards. And uh, I always have used note cards. I think probably Merlin has influenced me because I know mm-hmm. he uses them so much. I started because I did – I was tearing a lot of pages out of my um, – out of my out of my field field notes and handing mm-hmm. it out to people, but the, I, those aren't perforated. I just rip them out and hand them to people. <laughs> and and what I you know the my use for the field notes was 
I would write notes and at the end of the day, I would go through and process and cross them off. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I got to the end of the book, I would just throw it in the trash. It it wasn't like an archival type memory. Everything got converted to digital at some point. Mm -hmm. And I still pretty much do that, but I just carry some of those frictionless cards in my pocket. And the reason I like them so much is because they're really good quality, thick paper. Um, the pins never bleed through them. You can use both sides. They've got a grid on them. So I have kind of a graph paper in front of me and they're really nice. They're not cheap though. I think they're five bucks for a pack of a hundred. I'll put the, Hmm. them in the show notes. Have you ever played with those? No, but I picked up Aaron's book and I'm just, uh, one of my goals is to read through his, uh, frictionless freelancing. I have a, well, my illustration work, um, and sketch noting work, most of it's done through a small company. I started a few years ago, just was better for taxes and, yeah. So I want to improve that and make that better. So Aaron's book's been on my radar for a while, so I've just picked it up, and I'm curious to see what he has to say and how that system works into it. So that's that's pretty cool that he's. Uh, I've saw I've seen those, but uh, haven't picked any up yet. Yeah, it, it seems kind of overkill in some ways, but at the same time, I just I really like these things. I'm going to start stocking up on them. And what happens to the data on the note cards when you're done with them, David? Same, Is it same thing. Same thing. Same okay. thing. I go through and I give them away a lot of times. You know, I'll sit down mm-hmm. and like. Once again, I'm, I just think I, I think visually, you know, when, if someone asks me for directions, I will draw a map. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas other people, you'll ask directions and they'll say, you know, go down Main Street and then they'll go right, then go down, you know, Brown Street and turn left. I'll actually draw a map. And that's just the way my brain works. And if, a, you know, I just had a discussion with a client the other day about a legal principle and I drew a picture of how it works and I gave him the card. And, um, so that's just the way my brain is wired. So, so I like these cards better than the books because when I give it away, it's not all torn up and yeah. Frilly. You could probably and, even make some David Sparks, Max Sparky cards that uh, have your info on one side and a grid on the other, and just you know that's a really bulk, good you know? idea. I should be doing that. How come I didn't think of that before, Mike? There you go. All right, I'm going to talk to Aaron. <laughs> Maybe he'll. Help yeah, me that's out. a good idea. Um, anyway, look, enough about me. Uh, now, Katie, you had written in the show notes about post-its. Do you still do that stuff? Oh, these are the bane of my existence. I write about them because I'm desperately looking for a better way. I mean, you know, we've got typical law office, you know, office stuff. You know, we got a lady who comes in every Friday, goes through our drawers and says, oh, you're low on legal pads, you're low on post-it, and she restocks them. So we go into this file room and go into the cabinets and there's a stack of legal pads, a stack of post-its. So, you know, what do I grab when I need to take notes or I I need stuff at my desk? A a stack of legal pads or stack of post-its. And I, you know, just the other day I was on the phone with somebody and don't ask me why, you know, I I jotted their phone number on a a post-it note, stuck it somewhere on my desk. Two days later, I'm just disgusted that my desk is as sloppy as it is because I'm I'm normally a, a very neat freak about those things. You know, grabbed up the paper on my desk. I am sure that post-it note got thrown in the trash. I have no idea what that guy's phone number is. Thankfully, I was able to go back through our caller ID system on the phone and find it. But uh, it's just miserable. You know, the same thing with legal pads. At any given time on my desk, I have four or five legal pads on on different subjects, on different cases that I'm working um, with different notes jotted down into them just because I don't have the notes, um, you know, processed and put into a better system. Um, So – those are the analog systems that I'm using. Hmm. What I'm trying to do is go through and process and go through and digitize and and and, and turn those things um, digitally so that I've got a digital record of them and can get rid of the paper. But yeah, and you know, for me, the um, the using the paper is great, 
But at the end of the day, all that stuff has to get into a digital system. I can't just I can't keep a pile of these cards sitting around because mm-hmm. it, and, and a lot of times all it is is I'll go through the card and I'll add an entry to OmniFocus and I'll put something in the calendar or maybe I'll dictate a quick note to somebody. But, you know, I get a certain degree of satisfaction out of drawing a big line through everything on that page and throwing it in the trash. Mm-hmm. Or if I feel if I really need to feel good, I'll tear it in half and throw it in the trash. That feels good yeah. too. Well, you now, know, I, uh, Mike, what happens to your sketch notes when you're when you're done taking the notes? Well, um, my typical process for sketch note work is to scan it in. Um, what, I've added another process in the last couple of years for a couple of reasons, and that is taking photos. Because, well, first of all, I had an iPhone with me, which I didn't have when I first started out, and so. Um, my thinking there is if I, if I were to lose the book or something, at least I'd have photographs uh, of what I'd, what I'd done. And I try to take pictures immediately after I capture them. And if it's a public event, like um, I discovered this idea, or came up with this idea back in South, at South by Southwest, I think 2009, I had this idea of sharing. Because I don't know if you know when, you know, the people that go to South by tend to tweet about stuff that's happening and it gets the people who aren't there angry a lot of times because they aren't there to enjoy the same experience. Um, and I was curious to see if I posted my sketch notes on Twitter, what, how, what would, what would be the reaction? Would it be, Oh, I wish I was there. You idiot. Why did you put that up? Or would they be drawn in? And as it turned out, it was, it was the latter and they were drawn in and felt part of the event. So initially I did it as a way to share with others so they could experience the event immediately after as well. But then it turned into this idea of, well, that's an interesting way of backing up. And now that I'm actually looking into Evernote, which I think we'll probably be talking about later um, and having a place to store those, um, as long as I've got a photograph, that's actually a pretty good, a pretty good record of what it is that I had on a, on a page. Uh, and yeah, then, so, you, so you take it as a JPEG with just your camera. Yep. Yep. And I, okay. I can, you know, it goes into my photo stream. It's in a couple of different places. You know, if I, as I'm bringing Evernote into my workflow, then it could actually originate there. A lot of times it would end up on Instagram or on Twitter. So, you know, I'm, I'm sort of working through exactly how I want that digital workflow to work, but at the very least it's going to be in my photo, you know, library. Um, and then, so that's like the initial thing that I do just to make sure I've got a, a capture of it someplace. And when I get home, I typically will get out my, I've got a Canon, uh, Canon LIDE series, there's, I don't even know what the version number is now. I think they're probably LIDE 250 or something. I've got an old LIDE 70, but it's the same principle. It's a real thin uh, scanner. It's driven by a USB uh, cable, so you don't have to carry a, a wall ward around. You can just plug yeah. it right in. I know that there's uh, DoxyGo, and some of those are also kind of cool. The problem with those is you've got to have a single sheet that you can feed it. So uh, so I do like having a flatbed for these kind of book things because I, I tend to use books yeah, and you so don't want to tear your book apart. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, if I'm hired to do sketch notes for a, an event, let's say, um, the photographs are a good, you know, sort of a stopgap and a backup for the time being, but eventually they're going to want to have, uh, they like to have PDFs a lot of time where I'll scan it in in high resolution and we'll produce a PDF that's sized properly. So when you print it out, it looks really nice on a letter size sheet of paper. Um, in some cases, you know, I might actually produce a printed book. We did that with uh, with a conference last year, and that was really well received. So, you know, I don't know how they're going to end up being used. So for me, because of my more professional status of using them, I need high-res scans. So I'll tend to do high-res scans 
into ping files, so they're lossless, and then generate uh, PDF files from those ping files. Um, so all you're doing with your iPhone at this point is just taking a picture of it. You're not using like any of these PDF conversion apps or anything like that. No, it's you know that certainly could be a possibility where you could do everything on the phone. Um, I know there's scanning apps available for the phone. I have one of those. I think it's called Quick Scan, and it it produces. It's got like a grid, and it tries to flatten out and and normalize the things you're taking a photograph of. But I found yeah. that the that the photos. I use camera plus I'll go in and amp up the, um, the contrast usually because it's, I work in black and white and then I'll just turn the color shots into black and white because there's no need for all the color data. And that makes those images much smaller and easier to send to the organizers or to myself or just takes a little bit less space to store those. So that's smart. That's smart. Like that one I sent you, I, the one I sent, I sent you a sample of one I did. Yeah. The, uh, I took that, with Scanner Pro on the iPhone, and then it converted it to PDF, but it did lose a lot, I think, of the of the uh, definition in the process because you know you're converting it from a picture to a PDF on your phone. Sure, and it's trying to cr- it's trying to crunch it down and and get it to the smallest file size it probably can as well, depending yeah. on the profile you're using. And I mean, the funny the funny thing about uh, the photographs and the high res scans, a lot of times because the photographs go up first. On Flickr, I tend to put them on Flickr, so that's another public space and another way to sort of save those images somewhere outside of just on my machine, even though I back up like crazy. It puts it in another place, partially because they're public. You know, a lot of them are public for other people to see. But uh, a lot of people favorite the uh, the photographs that I take with the iPhone, even though I've done a high-res you know, scan and done all the cleanup and all that kind of stuff. People uh, still you know, often favorite those, those pictures because they're so immediate and uh, maybe that helps them remember the, uh, the moment. I don't know. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, it it is an interesting process and it's a lot easier than it used to be. Just as an example, when I go in meetings anymore, if there's a whiteboard in the room, I always take a picture with my phone of mm-hmm. the whiteboard before I leave. And that's, I, I guess that's really nothing new for anybody listening to the show, but, um, you know, the idea that you have a camera in your pocket at any time is, is pretty nice. Um, whether or not you use one of these things that convert it to PDF, even just, um, you know, any, any job that involves documents, the idea that you can take a picture of one at any time is, is neat. You know, when I grew up, I used to read the James Bond novels yep. and, and he had the camera with the, the string on it with the weight Yep. and he, he'd have to hold it and let the string hang down and you have to get the exact right focal length of the lens in order to get a picture that anybody could read because obviously it wasn't digital so you had no idea if you took a good picture or not and I thought it was so cool you know that I would like try and rig up my um in my Kodak 110 with a string because in my mind I was James Bond <laughs> and uh, it never quite worked but now as a mid-40s you know kind of sad adult I, I do it all the time well and I think that there's a combination effect there too not only do we have these actually pretty amazing cameras in our pockets. But in a lot of cases, they're hooked up to cloud services. So if I were to take pictures of all my sketch notes and someone either stole the book or the camera, I would still have at least some kind of record or copy that was safe from them immediately. That's pretty amazing and, and pretty, mean, what would pretty Q, handy. What would, what, what would Q have paid for that? You know, I don't know. A lot. 
clearly. Well, we're starting to get a little bit into the, the next portion of where we wanted to go. Yeah, we didn't stay analog very long, um, but but taking the stuff into the digital world. So maybe, maybe before we do that, why don't, why don't we take a, a quick break and, and talk about our, our second sponsor for this show? Because they're all about keeping stuff in the digital world. Yeah, that'd, we'll, be, that'd be connected data. That would be connected data. And connected data has a, a brand new product. Uh, the, uh, called the Transporter. And these are really smart guys. These are the guys behind the original Drobo. And they've successfully launched on Kickstarter. Um, they were monumentally successful. They they met their goal in only the first couple of weeks, and I think more than doubled it by the time that the Kickstarter program ended. But the way to describe the Transporter is it's a new way to share, access, and protect your files on your own personal cloud. We're all very familiar with these various cloud services, but they have a couple of things in common and that you've got to rely on somebody else to create and maintain the cloud. You don't necessarily know where this cloud is. Is this cloud even local in the United States? Is this cloud in India? Is this cloud, um, you know, in some other country that maybe we don't necessarily care about um, their, their data policies or their privacy policies? Um, and, and then usually you have to pay for this cloud if it's being managed by somebody else and, and there's a recurring fee and, you know, talking about these fees, you, you can be paying hundreds of dollars a year, you know, for, uh, you know, a couple hundred gigabytes of, of this cloud storage. And depending on what you're doing, if you're doing any kind of audio or video work like like David and I are using, um, those those fees can rack up pretty quickly. So the idea behind the transporter um, is is you buy it once and you are creating your own cloud storage device that you can share with yourself, you can share with other people, um, and and you can back up and, and connect your data with this transporter. And I gotta say, I, I love the line every time I uh, the name every time I think about it, I think of Scotty. Yeah, do you? I can see yeah, that. I, I do. Yeah. Um, so Dave and I have been been beta testing this. So we're we're limited in some of the stuff that we can say for now because it hasn't officially launched. Um, but it's it's been working well. And and the idea is David and I can can share a folder. For example, we have a, a shared MPU folder, and I can put anything I want in that transporter folder. And, and it will get synced up to the transporter. And because of the software that runs on it, it knows where it is. And David, who is subscribed to that shared folder, because I've given him access and given him permission to access this folder, uh, it will sync up to his transporter as well. Now, you can take this theory and you can use it for your idea of offsite backup. So maybe I've got a transporter at my house that's connected to my home network, and I've got a transporter at the office. So I can you know, get all my data at the office backed up to my house, my data at my house backed up to the office, and vice versa. I don't need a computer to do that. I just need to have a couple of these transporters, one sitting at home, one sitting at the office. And you can, you after you buy the device, you've, you've paid your fees for it. So you can decide what size you need. You can either buy a bare transporter and stick your own drive in it, um, or you can get it with, with various sizes of storage, depending on what you need, because it's got your hard drive in there. And at the point in time you need to replace that hard drive, you can do that too. So uh, it's a really unique idea. It's, a, it's an idea that has, has, um, is the right time for the idea. Create your own cloud. Share it with who you want. Share it with nobody if you want. Um, share it with only yourself and use it as a, as a backup method. It's very clever, and it's got some really smart guys backed it. So uh, you can find more information at filetransporter.com. Check them out, and they will be shipping soon. 
Yeah, I mean, this isn't vapor product. It it's built. You know, like a yeah, lot of I've Kickstarter, a lot of Kickstarter projects. You know, there's a really cool video and some CAD drawings. This these guys have built this thing, and it it does work, and it solves one of the biggest problems we talk about every time backup comes up is offsite, and this this really is a, a great solution. So check it out and and tell them you heard about them from us. So so let's let's bridge the gap now and start talking about digital because. You know, Mike, you you like to use computers too, and like you've already talked about Paranote. In fact, let's start with Paranote. That's uh, one of your favorite apps for doing this stuff. Uh, it's come up on our show a few times, but I don't think we've really talked about it in great detail. Well, um, you know, I have to state that uh, I helped uh, Chad. Chad is the developer. He's a single yeah. developer, and uh, I helped him with the UI and the icon. Uh, a friend of mine, Chris Hunt, as well, who redesigned the icon uh, most recently. But we helped him. Um, he had this great product. It was. So the concept is this, that you have a, a text editor, but it also has a record button up top. And when you go to an, a meeting or whatever, whatever you need to take notes at, you turn on the record button and it uses the uh, the mic in your Mac or you can, you know, pick another mic if you'd like in the preferences uh, for it to pick up and you start typing. And you can also uh, drop in um, like a PDF, uh, PDF of, uh, say, the, the meeting uh presentation that's being presented and drop that in and then flip the pages. Uh, you can also capture video. So all these things are coming in. And what's cool about it is after you're done taking your notes, typing and, and recording and so forth, um, it saves it into sort of a unified file with all these elements in there, which is uh, the files are actually, I think it's like a, like a folder. And so if you open it up uh, with some, you know, with the finder in a, where you view the package contents, you can see that there's these elements in there, you know, movie and audio and text, but they're all bundled together in a pair note app uh, file. And it it's all these are synchronized. So when you go back to your notes and you hit the play button, you hear the audio coming out, you see the video happening. You can see when the PDF flips pages and then you can see when your typing is happening. And these are all, you know, synchronized to each other. And the reason that Chad did it was so that when he went to, you know, to a presentation or a large class, he could turn this thing on and, and type and listen and, and record all this stuff. And if he was curious, like, why did I type that, you know, halfway through his document, he could go back and listen to what the professor or whoever, what they were saying at that time and think, oh, that's right. He was talking about this and I wrote that word and it meant this, but I, you know, I wanted to jump to the next concept. And so it provided this way to kind of go back and reference and tie the things together and, so I helped um, I helped Chad originally redo the UI and make it just a little more uh, Mac-like and and uh, streamlined and and it's been doing pretty well and it's uh, I use it all the time so it's a great tool for uh, capturing all those things together. You know we actually yeah, use it know, in David, production of this show. Oh good, yeah we do because sometimes when we we flub things we want to go back and have a specific edit point. So we don't have to listen to the entire show in post-production. We have learned a couple of things in 120 episodes that you don't necessarily have to go back and listen to the entire show. But to know that we we flubbed the ad spot at, you know, 49 minutes and 53 seconds, hmm. and you can make a note and pair note to say, you know, David coughed or something like that and go back and edit that out. But we actually, in our workflow show with David Wayne, um, who is a actor, director, just brilliant man, um, he talked about how he used Parano when they were screening movies hmm. and when they were doing the initial screening of his movie Wonderlust, they would use Paranote to see – they would play the movie and run Paranote alongside with it to see when people laughed uh -huh. or what people were um, what people were responding to. 
And so then they could go back and review pair note and someone would be taking notes. They could review pair note and see, okay, well, okay, this got a really big laugh. Oh, this, this fell flat. This one didn't work so well. Yeah. I, I just thought that was a very creative use for it. I mean, just the idea of indexing uh, an audio track to words is, is really empowering mm-hmm. for taking notes. I mean, we're going to talk about some apps on the iPad that do similar things and some more analog type things that do it. But it's it's really amazing. I mean, because of Paranote, none of you heard my 20-minute rant about Fusion Jazz in the last <laughs> um, episode, right? Oh, I'm Just, sorry. Did I cut that out? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. Oh. I hope you did. Oops. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to have people complain. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So what uh, other yeah, tools I almost you... started talking about Thelonious yeah. Monk, but I stopped. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, when I years ago, it was the only tool that you could use to take notes was a word processor, and and we would all use Microsoft mm-hmm. Word when I was in law school to not, not all of us, not, none oh, of okay, us. Not, some not of us never use Microsoft Word. Some of you, notes. some of us never use Microsoft Word. <laughs> in my law school class, it was required. That was, I mean, I I was the little rebel that that had that had a Mac. I mean, cause we weren't even allowed to have a Mac. We had to like sign this contract when we, when we got accepted that we were going to have a PC that met these requirements. I somehow managed to stick, you know, sneak my Mac in, but I had to use Microsoft word because you had to, that's what the school wanted. And that's what the school supported. I wonder if they can take my law degree away because I've, I don't know if I've yeah, you better, you better stop violation talking, or not. Yeah, I yeah. Think you better just stop. <laughs> but that's what we used is everything was in Microsoft word and Oh, it look, it has an outlining function and you can do all of this stuff. Um, and it worked and it was fine and I made it through law school and I'm now a practicing attorney. So I was successful and it worked, but now there are so many better tools that I'm so envious of, of students now who are, who are growing up in this technology age. I mean, just look at the things that Fraser Spears and Bradley Chambers are doing right now, um, with, with their elementary, middle and high school kids who are growing up with technology in the classroom, you know, much less even being a college kid with, with access to this stuff. Um, what other kind of tools are, are, are you using, if any other than Paranote, um, for outlining and for note-taking and those kinds of things? You know, the one uh, tool that seems to be always with me and uh, is is working on both the uh, the iPhone and the Mac is uh, SimpleNote. And I just use yep. their, their cloud syncing service. Um, a lot of times I'll have a thought and I'll just uh, type it in on the iPhone on the, on the iPhone while I'm running around. And then it pops up on, I use Just Notes is the app on the Mac that I use now to sync across. Um, and I find that's a really nice place. And then I've got that open on the Mac so I can tweak things for the whole book. Uh, so book uh, promotion stuff, I've got a bunch of different notes that have all kinds of information. I'm tracking all the, the press reviews. I'm tracking who got copies of what. I'm tracking links and all kinds of things in there. And then that synchronizes into a single place. We even, uh, my wife and I even use, uh, there's a little app on the iPhone called Listery, which is an, is a to-do list, um, application that uses simple notes database, uh, text-based database to run, um, the back end. And so I can have my wife add things on the to-do list when I'm at work. And then on the way home, I can stop and pick them up at the store or I can, while she's out, I can add them. And while she's running around the store, they actually appear in her Listery, um, list, um, based so, on this on the simple note database. So now, Mike, on, in simple note, are you taking these notes like in Markdown or just basic text? You know, just basic text. Uh, Markdown is something that I've, I've uh, I think I sort of half use. I don't use it officially. Like I need to probably read and see exactly what the right syntax is and maybe make more use of that. 
Uh, because I learned how to write HTML, when I run into those cases, that's just easier for me to write in HTML than to yeah, go to see, a new thing. So I need, now, to, I need I, to learn that. Yeah, I find um, for taking notes in text, using Markdown syntax is really nice because, you know, it's very easy to put those those header, it's just a pound sign, you mm-hmm. know, for your heading level. And you can go through and take outline style notes with, with plain text. The other question I had for you is um, how do you, is simple note working out for you? Because I kind of broke down with simple note. I was a big fan of it. I wrote about it a lot for a long time and I was having troubles with it and, and I never was really happy with the status of the iOS app. And I think I talked about this in a recent mm-hmm. episode, so I should probably go back and redownload it because I, I was a paying member for a long time. But I've I've since gone on to some of the text editors that you should use a Dropbox based mm-hmm. um, a database. I think that's also a good you know a good solution. I'm a big Dropbox user as well. I've got my project files and and things up there. And Simple Note, I must not be really pushing it too hard. It's more you know casual notes or reference and recipes yeah. and things like that. So I'm probably not maybe not pushing it as hard as you were. So I'm not noticing those uh, issues. But it's been fine for me probably because I'm just using it in a light way. And I found that it's got limitations. Like obviously you can't link, you can't drop a picture in there. There's all kinds of things you can't do. And that's got me looking again at Evernote. Um, and I know version five just was released for the Mac and, and iOS. And I just started, in fact, looking at the, I updated the Mac version and I've been using fiddling around with the, uh, with the iOS version. I've, I had an account for years and just started using it and then sort of, went away from it. And, uh, now I'm kind of looking at it again as a, maybe a way to capture like the receipts that I have when I go to lunch, I can just take a photo and get rid of the receipt and uh, maybe taking pictures of notebooks or notes or cards, whatever it is and have a place to store that. So it it seems like Evernote is making a resurgence with, uh, with people who are really interested in this stuff. Uh, for a lot of us, myself included, I could never really wrap my head around it. And I was really just never that satisfied with the interface and, and certain pieces of it. And also I always had trouble with getting data out, but uh, all the complaints I've had over the years, it seems like they're just very systematically knocking them down and the interface is getting better and the export tools are better. So I, I'm finding like you, Mike, I'm using it more than I used to. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm trying to find ways that I can integrate that. And, you know, the challenge always is if you have one tool, you know, you can keep all your stuff there. So how does that sync with, uh, with simple note, does simple note go away and then I become more of an Evernote user or do they have their specific applications. I thought of that before, Katie, when you mentioned your frustration with post-it notes that, you know, post-it notes are great for certain things, but maybe not great for other things. And so with any tool, you always have to find what is the thing that that tool does best and then use it for those things. And there's that temptation to try and force it to do things that it wasn't intended to do. And then you, you know, you lose the important post-it note with somebody's phone number when maybe that should go into a daily log book that you carry with you or something like that. So I think any of these tools, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to think of what's the best purpose or use for that. And does this one thing obviate the other thing? Like if I go full on to Evernote, maybe that, maybe that means that simple note isn't that as valuable as it was, you know, because I can do those things in Evernote. I don't know. Yeah. What I've really tried to move towards is, is collecting everything digitally to begin with. And I was a big outliner and I loved outlining if it's in the proper context, outlining a lecture is great. Um, outlining, a, a 
in 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 some contexts, like for for what I do, a, a continuing education course because that's more lecture format that yeah. works. But outlining a conversation doesn't necessarily work for. So that I like a little more freeform. I've been trying to use, um, you know, whether it's if I'm on the phone and I talked about this in in prior shows, I try to use like the day one app on my computer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I'll do is I'll pop open that little ticker window that they've got a, a menu bar applet, and that's where that phone number should have gone. Is it should have gone in into the day one app, and and where I'm typing about, you know, I, I type a little OmniFocus snip or a text expander snippet saying this is the time the call started, telephone call with such and such. This is what we talked about. This is his phone number, and then I would go through at the end of the day or the end of the week and process through those day one notes, much like David does with his with his field guides, and put that information into. Okay, here's so and so's number. It needs to go in the file, or it needs to go into my contact book, or my address book, or wherever it needs to go, or it needs to a letter needs to go out to him, or a follow up call needs to be made. That's where that should have gone. I I really shouldn't be using for post it notes anything at this point other than to bookmark a page. Maybe hmm. um, I'm a big day one user as well. I love uh, I love the upgrade they just did recently. I think a few months ago where they added the ability to have pictures and weather and it's gorgeous. It, it makes me want to use it all the time. And I record uh, all kinds of things in there. I had this idea as we were all talking about all these tools, and I think one of the challenges, Katie, you, it sort of goes back to your point about only being limited to Microsoft Word back in, in the days when you were in law school. We're almost now, we have an embarrassment of these tools to the point that we don't know what to use, and we try to use everything, and then everything is all fractured and all over the place. And, you know, it's got me thinking, you know, maybe I need to really limit the tools or, you know, if the tools are used for a certain thing, then they're just used for that thing. Like, uh, for instance, Quotebook is something that Patrick, my friend Patrick Rohn mentioned. And I love that app. It All it does is does quotes. You certainly could do that in Simple Note. You could do that in any of these other tools. But it's got some features that allow it to be specialized. So um, I think this year my my goal is going to be to sit down and think about, okay, what tools are really good for doing certain things? And maybe what tools could be folded into that other tool. So I limit myself and then I have, you know, when I get a phone number, I know, well, that should go in this place. And when I've got, you know, a quote, it goes in that place. Or I've got a uh, an entry for the what happened today that goes in this other place. And I've got really dedicated places to know where they're at and that I can trust them. And I think that that can be a challenge when there's so many great tools. Like, what do you use? You could use everything. You know, we get some feedback from listeners that say you tell us too much and you give us all these tools and it's overwhelming. And my goal for the show really is for people to understand the good stuff out there, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily say that you should be using every one of these apps. You shouldn't be doing Paranote plus, you know, Omni Outliner plus, you know, a text-based note system. You got to find the ones that work for you. But but you also should know that there is an embarrassment of riches and it's not like it used to be where you were stuck with whatever the university threw at you. Now you can really figure out the way your brain works and, and do these things. And, you know, and, and one underlying theme that we've had in this segment is really text notes versus more rich notes, you know, like day mm-hmm. one is, is much richer than just text. Um, uh, whereas something like envy alt or, or simple note, it's just text. And in my brain, that's a dividing line. There are certain things for me that are text, like notes of conversations. And there are certain things for me that are richer than that. And and that works for me. But everybody's a little different. And I think what you want to do is just be aware of what's out there and try and make good choices along those lines. Um, there's more I want to talk about with respect to taking notes with iOS. But before we do that, 
uh, we have a new sponsor, and I wanted to take a minute to talk about them, and that is Squarespace. I'm so glad that uh, Squarespace has decided to join the Mac Power users because I've been using them for, I'm trying to remember now, at least two years, maybe three years. Um, uh, several years ago, you know, I've run MacSparky.com for a long time. Um, it started out as a dot Mac account, you know, basic <laughs> website, and then uh, very quickly migrated to a WordPress website. And then there were so many of my friends that had popular websites that were running into all sorts of problems, uh, some of which were very much smarter than I am about these types of things that were getting hacked and they didn't even know it. And at a certain point, I just said enough is enough, and I'm going to put Max Sparky on something that I control better. And I looked around, and I ended up with Squarespace, and I've been very happy with that decision. And now Squarespace has got some great stuff going for them. Uh, it is, it's basically an enclosed system. They do the hosting and the web design for you. So not only are they hosting your website, um, they also you know, have a great – content management and platform system where you can develop your own custom site um, w using their tools. And you don't have to be a web programmer or an expert to use it. It's fantastic. And I, I'm, I think I'm kind of the poster child for it because as much as I like nerdy stuff, um, I don't think in HTML like Mike does. I, you know, I've never really worked extensively on web programming, but I think my site has got a nice, unique look, and I did that all myself. And so Squarespace is the reason why. They've got a lot of great tools. Um, you can set up photo galleries. You can set up blogs. You can set up static pages with it. Um, I run the field guide pages through it that are very different than the blog-type pages. Um, the tools are very manageable. If you want to move a border, you can click it and drag it just like it's, you know, back in the old dot Mac days. Um, it's got sharing buttons. Like if you want to do social sharing, all that stuff is built in. You just put in your account credentials and click the box and it shows up for you. Um, they, uh, they've got a mobile, uh, platform in, in terms of uh, d content development and content viewing. So if you've got an iPad or an iPhone, you can post to your Squarespace site from that mobile device. It's got an app that does it for you. Um, and it's got this responsive design. So Max Sparky will look different on your iPhone than it does on your computer. And that I just love it. It makes me look like a pro when all I'm doing is just working through Squarespace. Um, the last thing I really like about it, I'm going to say for this spot, is their statistics. Um, when I read about people and all the trouble they go through to figure out the statistics for their website, I'm really thankful that I use Squarespace because all you have to do is go in and open a page and it's got great graphs and charts that show your real-time statistics right there. I can find out you know, how many people were on my website very recently. I can find out what operating system they're coming from. It's, it's just great stuff and it's very little work for me. So it makes me look good and I can't think of any better way to do it. The pricing model is really simple. Uh, they have the standard account, which gets you 20 pages, 500 uh, gigabytes a month of bandwidth, 2 gigabytes of storage, 24-7 um, uh, support. That's $10 a month or $8 a month if you buy a year. Um, or you can get the unlimited plan, which gets you unlimited pages, galleries, and blogs, unlimited bandwidth, unlimited storage, uh, unlimited contributors if you want to have other people contribute to your blog. And that's... Um, 
that is uh, $20 a month or $16 a month if you buy a year. That's what I did is I just bought a year and I have never regretted it. In addition, if you buy a year, uh, you can get a custom domain, a URL, and they'll they'll get it for you. So it's a great idea. Um, we're going to actually be doing a show on blogging and, and writing very shortly. And Squarespace is, is one of the best solutions you can use, and uh, we, we both can recommend it. In fact, Katie, you're switching over it too, right? I, I have switched to Squarespace, and I've gotten a lot of compliments on my site ever since I switched to Squarespace. And I found I'm actually writing more on my site since I switched to Squarespace. Because I can spend more time actually writing my site rather than managing my site. So I'll be talking more about that in, in future ad spots because Squarespace is going to be with us for a while. But, David, I did want to mention that Squarespace uh, does give us a little offer code. So it's great if you want to go with a yearly plan. You can save up to 20% off of the, the month-to-month plan. But we can save you even more if you enter the coupon code MPU at checkout. I'm sorry, MPU1 because this is January. MPU1 at checkout. Uh, we'll let them know that we sent you. It will support the show, um, and it will also put a little more cash back in your pocket too. So uh, yeah. thanks to Squarespace for their support of Mac Power users. And that's MPU, the number one. Right, <laughs> MPU and the number one. There you go. Hey, guys, I've been a Squarespace uh, user for a couple of years, and uh, I can highly recommend them as well. It's been uh, – Katie, exactly what you said is uh, what my experience has been. It's just focused me on producing the content and the website and, and not fiddling around with broken things or – you know, people hijacking my website and trying to figure out where that came from. It's uh, it's been a great experience, and I can I can highly highly recommend them. Yeah, I don't want to spend time you know figuring out what plugin is broken. I just want to write. But okay, well, that's enough of that. We got to <laughs> move on. Yep. Well, you know, we've got this new fancy schmancy iPad now. We've got the iPad Four, fourth generation, and the iPad Mini, and the iPad in itself as a platform is brand new and it is you know it's about the size of a notebook and it has opened up this whole new area of note taking apps whether they're text based apps or whether they're handwriting apps because you can great th- get these great new styli is that the plural of stylus mm-hmm. i think so yeah you're right okay. got it there we go you you can get all of these different styli that can you know range anywhere from a couple of bucks to a simple stylus to a couple hundred bucks for these fancy schmancy bluetooth wacky styluses that david styli uh, that David will tell us more about. Um, I am very, very interested about using the iPad as a replacement for all the paper in my device because I try in my personal life, I am completely paperless. It is my professional life that I'm still plagued by all of this paper. And I'm desperately looking for a way to get rid of this. And I think the only way it's going to happen, I can I can take all the paper notes I want and scan them and slash through them and put them into into various systems, but I really think the only way that I'm going to achieve paperless bliss in my professional life is to stop using paper to begin with. And the iPad, I think, is the only device that's going to get me there because it's the only device that I can walk in, pull out of my briefcase, grab a stylus, and sit down and take notes, sketch, draw outlines, draw diagrams, and then export that to a PDF, save it to Evernote, save it to my Dropbox file, and take it with me wherever it goes. So I am really interested in, in using the iPad. And, and also because every time I have, I have tried to take notes, uh, in electronic setting, the, the technology sometimes seems to get in the way, whether it's because people just think you're goofing off because you've got a laptop in front of you, or you've got this big glowing screen in front of you. And it, it becomes a physical barrier between you and the person that you're trying to communicate with, or they always wonder, is she really listening to me or is she checking her email right now? 
but with the iPad, it's much more of an intimate environment, and and I can sit there and and sketch on it or draw on it or write on it, much like I can in a notebook. And I and I think it's going to quickly become much more accepted than pulling out my my computer in a meeting. So I'm I'm curious. What if any experience you guys have in in this area? Because I'd like to follow up on that. I'd like to follow up on that last point because I think that there has been kind of a changing of the guard in the terms of when you pull out an iPad in a meeting, it is no longer a conversation piece. You know, when the iPad first came out, um, you would have a fancy iPad and people would want to talk about it, and and at this point, it's become, I think, a lot more accepted that people just use these things to get their work done, and that helps you that helps it become something you can use without becoming a distraction. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of this notability app. Mike, have you ever played with that? I haven't. Uh, that's something I'll have to check out. There's so many apps. Again, that's another case where there's so many apps that are out there and the last year I've been focusing on the book. So I haven't put a lot of emphasis on the iPad, but I know that there's plenty of tools out there and I've used a few, not this one though. Tell me about it. Yeah. Well, yeah so- notability is my favorite too. It, hmm. Well, it's a lot like, Paranote in the way that it will record and index your notes to that recording. Hmm. So if you if you write a note or if you type a note, when you tap the word, it will start playing the recording from from that point that you made that note. Hmm. So it makes it very easily to jump through your meeting notes, and that solves the problem I talked about at the beginning of the show. That you know I'm I'm lousy at taking detailed notes of people. And does uh, it does it uh, allow for drawings as well? Is that uh, one of the features? Yeah, it does. Cool. That's really cool. I, I know that there's a Paranote uh, iOS app as well, um, and then it synchronizes to the same stuff. Um, I'm really curious about this, though, that it would synchronize to your drawing. I know I've, uh, you know, Penultimate is another one that I often suggest to people because the uh, the ink engine that they've created feels a lot like ink, um, and it uses a notebook type of uh, metaphor, I guess. Um, yeah. And I know that uh, Evernote just pick them up so there's some integration with Evernote which makes that maybe more attractive for someone who's using that system already yeah that's penultimate never it felt so limited but you're right when you draw with it it really feels like you're drawing with a pen yeah yeah um i i although i've never been that successful with certainly in a meeting using anything but the keyboard but you know in terms of drawing on the ipad i still haven't quite got over that bridge how about you katie I'm working on it. One of the features about notability that that really helps me, I have atrocious handwriting to begin with. And when you take bad handwriting and put it on an iOS device, it gets worse a lot faster. But the notability app has this ability that you can zoom in. So you're not actually writing um, at 100% size on the iPad. But what you can do is it it has a couple of features that that really help me. Number one, it it has a hand guard at the bottom. So we all naturally rest our hand on the bottom of the iPad to write. So it it has a hand guard that you can set so that you're not accidentally creating input from from your hand as you write. And the other thing it does is it has this ability where you can zoom in and perhaps take it instead of, you know, writing actual size on the iPad, maybe zoom in and take it two lines at a time because you can use different types of paper. And and I usually have mine set up for like college ruled paper on the iPad. So zoom in and take it two lines at a time. And so, whereas I'm actually writing on a, on a line that's maybe one inch tall, it's actually shrinking my writing down when it goes on the iPad to a, and it will auto, it will auto what's the word flow as I write. So once I get towards the end of a, of the of the zoomed in line, it will continually scroll for me 
so that I can, or I guess like an automatic carriage return, but not just continuing on the same line. And then it will ultimately carriage return to the next line. So I can just continue writing and, and the iPad will, will flow the text that I'm writing in my handwritten text into the lines of the, of the notebook page. And then I also like that, you know, if, if my hand gets tired or I just can't keep up with the writing, I can flip over and, and start typing too. Yeah, and I guarantee you we're going to get a lot of feedback, uh, and I encourage it uh, in the show notes from people who have their own favorite pet note-taking app, and a lot of them do exactly what Katie has described, where you can write large, in essence, and have the computer shrink it down for you. In but, fact, I, I would encourage people, if they're writing us just to tell us about an alternative app, in, in, we'll, we'll cover as many as we can, but stick it in the comments. If you go to the MacPowerUsers.com website, Write it as a comment to this post, and that way, because we can't cover them all in the feedback section, um, stick it as a comment, and that way everybody can can see your suggestions of what, what the app you'd use and, and why is. Uh, Mike, have you ever uh, played with paper? Yeah, I've got a copy of that as, uh, on my iPad, and I, I like it. It's um, it's maybe a little bit more toward the drawing uh, side, but uh, I like the, uh, the the metaphor of the the notebooks that you can open and close, and also from a UI designer's perspective, the idea that you can move all the tools off the screen and just draw like it's a clear screen is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know where I feel on that. Sometimes it seems like the UIs get so stripped down that I don't have any idea how to use the app. It, it seems like there's a line there, <laughs> but that's probably another show. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. but I do like paper and I like the way the ink flows on that page as well. But I was thinking in terms of sketch noting, this could be an interesting thing to like sketch note on the iPad screen. Have you ever tried that? You know, I've done some sketchnoting with the iPad and I've used uh, that. I've used paper before. I've used uh, Penultimate, often works well. Another one that I like is Adobe Ideas, which um, it uses a vector-based capture system, which, you know, if you don't know what that means, it's basically using points and curves. So the files are quite small and then it'll actually generate, you can save it out as PDF that's uh, you can size up and down, so it's yeah, um, it looks much better. Yeah, yeah. So it'll clean up your circle. Like if you try and draw a circle, it'll try and clean up those shapes. For some people, that drives them nuts, and other people really like it. So um, those are some of the apps that I've used. One of the challenges that I find trying to sketch note with the iPad, um, and it's interesting because I chose the Moleskin notebook because it was limited in size and there was only so much I could put in there. Um, it's it's that the iPad is almost actually, for me at least now. There's not enough detail there. Like, I can't yeah. put the detail that I would put in a moleskin. And I think what it is, it's my own mindset. And I need to challenge myself again to find ways to use the iPad, whether it's zooming, like Katie talked about. I know that there are some sketch noters who use the iPad, and that's their solution is to zoom in and do detail and then zoom out. Um, and that would just be another, you know, another skill I would have to adapt to and learn. But um, I think, you know, on the other side of it, even if I did use one of these apps and just worked with the limitation of a 1024 768 screen on my iPad 2 or double that on, you know, the retina screen, you you basically have the same, you know, format. It's just double the pixels, right? Or quadruple yeah. the pixels or whatever technically that is. Um, so you don't really get much more detail. It's just crisper. So maybe the the approach to that is just to keep turning the page and working with smaller sections that might change the way the notes are taken. Um, so the, I, that's one of my goals this year is to um, to find out how the iPad can do this and be used as a tool because I, I just haven't really spent a lot of time looking into it because I've been so focused on perfecting the analog systems that I use. 
Well, I think one thing that has improved is the the quality of the styluses available, or styli, as Katie would say, mm-hmm. right? Styli? Styli. Yeah, I think you're right. But they, they've got these uh, styli out now that have really upped the game. I I uh, went crazy and bought one of these Adonit Jot Touch styli. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you... Are you guys familiar with this thing? I saw this at Macworld. This is the one with the funny little disc on the end. Yeah, and but the, this new one is Bluetooth and uh-huh. it's pressure sensitive. So oh, really? It's got a little spring in the tip, and the harder you press, it communicates through Bluetooth back to the iPad, and it's really remarkable how good it is. Now the app has to build in support for it, but uh, all the apps are doing it. You know, and uh, it's really. I didn't think this degree of um, accuracy was available on the iPad, and now it is. So that really changes the option. Now, am I using it every day? No, I'm not. You know, I just haven't got to that point. Uh, when I'm in a meeting, like I said, I've kind of set my ways in the way I'm using Notability and some of these other tools. But uh, I do want to get better at this. And, uh, Mike, this is something I'd recommend you look into if you want to try this stuff out. I hadn't I'd heard about to- that one. That's That's really interesting. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. I'd love to see what what Mike creates on an iPad with something like this stylus. So that's the Adonit.net. Is that is that correct? Yeah, because yeah. I have the Adon- I have the Jot, and I like yeah. it quite a bit. It's um, probably the best uh, straight you know stylus you can buy from a maker without pressure sensitivity. But pressure sensitivity would be a huge benefit because that's probably the big limitation of the iPad. You can't really tell how hard you're pressing or not pressing. It's just either on or off, right? So, well, and there's several vendors now that are coming out with these, but the, mm. the Jot Touch is the one I would, the okay. one I have and the one I'd recommend. And uh, it, it is pretty remarkable. So it, I think it's going to change a lot of people's opinion about what kind of art they can do on an mm. iPad. That's really interesting. I'll definitely check into that. Yeah. I can recommend, uh, there's a guy in uh, Holland that makes these uh, styli, which um, they're called stylus socks. It's really interesting. He uses a plastic... Um, he started with pen holders, but now he's produced his own holders and he's got, um, conductive fabric that he sews as a sock and then he wraps it around the tip. And, uh, the thing that I like about the stylus socks is they feel like drawing with a pencil because the, the fabric is smooth, but it's got a little bit of a drag, you know, where a lot of yeah. these tips are rubber and they tend yeah. to be sticky, more sticky or less sticky depending on the rubber compound. But with a fabric, it's sort of smooth, and it, it reminds me a lot of drawing with a pencil. So a lot of times, uh, that's a nice change of pace from one of the other styli. That, that, is that, that stylussocks.com? Is that where he's I at? Think, uh, I think he works through Esty or Etsy. Okay. I never say okay. that that one right. But yeah, if you do if you do a search for stylus socks, uh, the guy's name is Ivo Beckers, and he's in, I believe he's in Holland. And good guy, and I really like his, uh, his styli. They're really, really nice. If he's stylussocks.com, he needs to get himself a Squarespace account. Yeah, there we go. Flash here. I can't get in. I'm out. Oh, David, I've been I've yeah. been meaning to ask you, are are you um taking notes at all on your iPad mini? And if so, how does the how does the experience compare to the full size iPad? The um to answer your question, no. Uh, and the, the iPad the big boy iPad is the one that seems to be following me around during the day. And uh, for a variety of reasons, I uh, you know I, I share uh, my screen with clients and people I meet with, and when I have like a mind map, I want a little bigger canvas, or if I have a keynote, I want to share with somebody. Um, I love this iPad Mini, but it seems to be the carry around iPad Mini. It's great for traveling, uh, for my day to day 
day job stuff, it seems like the bigger screen is still the better for me. But I haven't still, I still haven't figured it out entirely. How about, Mike, have you ever used an iPad Mini yet? Yeah, my mom actually got one for Christmas, and uh, and it's pretty cool. I've uh, one of the things that I wanted to check was uh, typing on it with the keyboard, and I found that in uh, is it uh, portrait mode? It oh, feels it's great. In it, feel, mode. it feels a lot like typing with my iPhone. Uh, yeah. In, in uh, landscape, which is how I if I type that's how i prefer to take notes because i i can type quite quickly with my thumbs oh i just um i was on a three-hour flight recently and the guy in front of me was you know that guy that wanted to push his chair back even Mm. though he was leaning forward in his chair most of the flight and i got the ipad mini out i didn't even need the tray table i could just sit there and type away and portrait mode is the way to go with a mini if you're going to start doing any type of typing or I created mind maps. I did some outlining and on the outliner, I, I was, I was rocking that thing. Well, it'd be interesting to blend uh, the new, uh, the jot touch with an iPad mini because you know, the size of the screen maybe wouldn't be as much of an issue. I mean, effectively it's an iPad two and new and a new wrapper, right? It's essentially yeah. the specs. And yeah. I, I use an iPad two and it's been great. And uh, I wonder if uh, using that, if you've got pressure sensitivity with an i with an iPad mini, would that uh, that might be a really good combination? I don't know. I haven't even tried it yet, so I wish I could tell you more. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, you know, I'd like to go. The last subject I'd like to, to cover in this is we've gone to the paper and we've gone to the digital. I'd like to talk about some of the hybrid stuff, and I don't know how much you've used it, uh, but maybe let's just do our last sponsor real quick before we get into that. And um, I have some really good news uh, for all the Fujitsu uh, fans out there. Uh, the the successor is now here to the Fujitsu S1500, and that's the iX500. So Fujitsu has a new desktop scanner out, and um, I'm so pleased that I can finally talk about it because I've been using one for a couple weeks, and it's really fantastic. I When they told me they were making a new scanner for, to replace the desktop unit, I, I got thinking, well, what what is there that they need? Because I thought that the old one was pretty awesome. And they improve this thing on just about every level. It's faster. It goes up to 25 pages per minute. In fact, uh, Katie, remember that show we did with Colleen Wainwright, our, mm-hmm. our friend Colleen? Uh, yeah. She has a she has a friend who wrote you know a book, and the author wanted to get a scanned copy of her book that she could start using for some other marketing stuff she was doing. Had no idea how to do it, and Colleen didn't have a scanner. She sent me her uh, this 250-page book, and I stuck it in this uh, Fujitsu scanner, and I was oh done. Goodness. It was like three or four minutes. The whole thing was scanned, and <laughs> and it was amazing how fast it was. I mean, I just could not get over. This thing was like ripping through this stuff, and it OCR'd the whole book using the built-in Fujitsu software. I mean, they just they're just up their game again. Another really cool thing about this new iX500 is that it's got built into it a pro- its own processor. And what that means is you don't even have to have your Mac turned on with this thing. There's an iOS app. So you can put a piece of paper in there, open the Fujitsu app on your on your iPad or your iPhone, push a button on your iPad or your iPhone, and the paper runs through the scanner, and you get a, a gorgeous-looking PDF on it right there on your iPad. I mean, this is pretty cool stuff. Um, Wireless scanning. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about that in the past, but this is a real possibility. Like you could have one down, you know, wherever you collect your mail and you could start scanning things right into your you know, iOS system without even having a computer there. It, it really feels like living in the future. Um, the sensor is better for capturing uh, double feeds. Um 
they, you know, they've improved a lot. We're going to be talking about this as we go into the future. Um, but uh, the, to answer my question earlier, uh, Fujitsu is capable of making something better, and and they made it a lot better. Like another thing it does is it does long uh, longer documents. I mean, it used to always make me crazy. Like you go to Home Depot. I keep talking about Home Depot on this show. I guess I got to stop really doing that. They have really long receipts. Yeah, they do, and they've got all this stuff on there. So I'd like tear it in I've half. I've spent some time at Home Depot. Yeah, so I'd like you got to tear... cut off all those coupons and the rebate stuff. Yeah, well, not not anymore. I just stick it in there and let it go. The scanner just takes it. Um, so it's it's really a nice piece of kit. So if you've been waiting, get a new desktop scanner. Now's the time. The Fujitsu uh, iX500 is the way to go. I'm going to write it up at Max Sparky probably before the show airs. So I'll let you know what I think about it. Uh, I saw Geek Dad today just did a really nice review of it. And so there's some really good stuff out there. Um, this is the one you want. So check okay. it out. Yeah, thanks to Fujitsu as always for uh, supporting the show. And I think we're going to be seeing Fujitsu at Macworld, aren't we, David? Yeah, yeah, we may we'll be, be doing something with them. So we may be doing something with them. So stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. All right. Maybe this this hybrid system is is where my next step will be. It, it makes sense, but <laughs> there are a couple of these hybrid systems out there that I've that I've tried, and I, I may settle up upon one or two, but. Kind of these systems of where you either start – well, you basically start with a written note and then it somehow gets converted to a digital note. And the one that I'm working with right now is this Evernote Moleskin notebook. David or Mike, have you tried these? I've seen them. I've not tried one. I uh, I need to pick one up and, and try it out, especially as I'm getting into Evernote. It might be a good uh, companion. Yeah, I think the first step to using that is to be an Evernote user. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure that it's something you pick up unless – you're already in the Evernote world, but if you're looking for this hybrid system, it it may be the answer. I mean, it, they've really come a long way. Katie, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yeah, your experience yeah, and with I'll, it? And I'll tell you, David, they have one with graph paper. Yeah, I know. So, um, but you can get them in a couple of different sizes, um, in, in either lined paper or graph paper. But you just use them like you would any other moleskin notebook. And so they're very nice, very high quality, very elegant notebooks. And you can take notes on them, pen, pencil, what whatever it is you normally do. Um, you know, nice leatherette bound notebooks and they come with a, a set of tags that you can use. I honestly, I've, I've lost mine. I don't know what to, what to do with them. There was just a sticker book that came in the back, but they're gone. And what you do when you're done taking notes with a particular session is the Evernote for iOS app has been optimized to take um, uh, pictures of these notebook pages. And there's a, t- a, a, a barely noticeable, you won't notice while you're writing, but the camera recognizes it dot pattern on the the back of these pages that the camera will recognize um, that, that helps it in the OCR process and helps it capture these images. So the Evernote iOS app, which, you know, again, we talked about having a camera in your pocket just about all the time now, because you've got, you've got an app in your, uh, in your camera, or you've got a camera in your pocket and you've got the app on your phone, um, will t- is designed to take the pictures of these notebook pages. So you just line it up, snap a picture, page one, page two, page three, page four, you don't have to stop between pages. You can do them right in succession and it will import them directly into Evernote and then it will OCR the text. And I've done this in a couple of meetings and even with my atrocious handwriting, the, the results have been surprisingly good. 
Yeah, and that's that's a piece of this that I never got. LifeScribe Pin is the other option, and we've talked about that in past shows, where they use the same technology where they've got a pin with a essentially a camera inside of it, and there's these micro dots on the page, and it tracks your pin strokes against those dots and creates a digital representation of it. But uh, the last time I looked at that product, they did not have the OCR built in. You'd have to get a third-party app, and I wasn't all that certain how how efficient it was. Um, again, as you were saying, the trick about Evernote is this really only makes sense for you if you're an Evernote user because you, you've got to be someone who wants to keep your notes already in the Evernote system. And that works for me for everything in my personal life. Again, it doesn't work great for me in my work life, but it is certainly much more acceptable in my work life to come into a meeting and take notes with these notebooks. So I, I find that I'm using them for certain things, but maybe not necessarily for client meetings. Um, and I find it's a little less clunky looking and a little more generally accepted than walking in with this big old bulky LiveScribe pen. You know, and then another option is just to scan it, you know, I, you know, like our sponsor Fujitsu, if you've got a good scanner near you, you can write down on any kind of paper you want and then just run it through a scanner. Yeah, that's, that's basically what I'm ending up doing now is I'm taking notes on regular legal pads. I've got a scan snap. I've got a 1300 on my desk at the office. And then when I'm done with the meeting, anything that doesn't get otherwise digitized, I'm just making a point to run it through the scanner. I've got a notes file. You know, I automatically save it with the date notes from blank. And that way I'm at least digitizing these notes and saving them in some way in the file. And Hmm. people think I'm crazy when they find these files in the computer, but you know, at least I've got some kind of record of, of these files. The the piece that I'm missing to this is some kind of good document management or organization system. Right now, again, I'm just using files and folder. I've got a, a folder in any particular client file called notes, and then I'm I'm naming the scan, you know, based on the dates, you know, conference with David, conference with Mike, you know, with a with a date header in it. But hmm. that's that's kind of my solution. Mike, have you ever played with any of these these solutions? You know, I've played with the LiveScribe pen. I liked what it did. Um, I actually tried sketch noting with it, and it actually captured quite a bit. Uh, the big barrier for me, oddly enough, and this is going to sound really funny, is that it's using. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Go ahead. Let me l- l- before you answer. All right. Ball, ballpoint pen. Yes, you got it. I knew oh. it. I knew it. I yeah, don't know that, why. I, yeah. Yeah, the pen style it it, it always kind of bugged me, and I talked to a person from LiveScribe at MacWorld a few years ago, and I said, you know, this is great, but. I'm not really that excited about the pen, and I know they're they're taking steps to try and make it better. But as I understand it, you know, there's a computer in there, and they need to put yeah. pressure on the computer to turn it on, or the battery would die very quickly. As I understand, this was the big hang-up. Hmm. Whereas a gel pen doesn't put enough pressure to turn it on. Interesting. I didn't know so, that. So that's why they had the ballpoint. At least that, that's how it was described to me. But yeah, I I totally get that. I mean, you the pen quality. In fact, let's just take a quick. Just a quick, because we've already been in this thing for an hour and 35 minutes. But what? tell us about your pens, Mike. Well, I tend to I tend to try and find uh, pens I can get in an office supply store. Um, but I, I typically go with a gel pen. I like pens that are smooth. I like pens that tend to lay a lot of uh, ink down quickly, especially for sketchnoting work, because often when I'm doing drawing, I might need to fill in an area. I need to do it quickly. But I don't want to have a huge, you know, Sharpie to do that. So... And I want the, you know, the, the, the ink needs to be black because eventually these will be scanned. So the quality needs to be good and it needs to dry pretty quickly. So, um, lately the, my favorite, uh, pen has been the Pentel Energel. Um, I tend to like, I guess they'd call them medium. It's a 0.7, 
millimeter pen. And that combination seems to have worked well for me. I started out with the Pilot G2, and I still like those. Um, they tended to get globby near the end of the pen usage, um, and so I started searching for other pens to see what what might be available. This, the uh, Uniball, uh, I think it's Signo 207, is a really nice gel pen as well. It's got a nice smooth ink. It's, I think it even works well if you're writing checks to prevent uh, check fraud, because I don't think you can wash it off the check. Um, and then I stumbled onto these Pentel Energels, and I've sort of been sticking with them for about the last year. They seem to they provide all the all the con- all the details that I like in a pen in a gel pen. And so, uh, and I I tend to get the capped ones because I keep them in my pocket all the time. And the problem with a click pen is all you need is that one time when you click it out and it ruins a pair of pants. So yeah, that's uh, been my solution. I'm really curious about a couple of different pens, and I don't know if they would fit into my workflow. And that would be um, a Fisher Space Pen which I think is actually a ballpoint, but it's kind of a unique, I think the ink is different and it's pressurized and there's some different things about it and all those details. But when I've used them, they've, I've been very impressed with the, uh, the quality of the ink. And the other is an, an Amiki vanishing point, which is actually a, um, a fountain pen, a clickable fountain pen that I think you click or you turn and a fine tip pops out and you can, you can draw just like with a, with a fountain pen. And then you can, retract it so you can keep it in a pocket. Now, that's is that the same one as the Pilot? I think, you know, I was wondering about that. I was looking on a site, and uh, I think that they may be uh, rebranded the Namiki. Maybe maybe yeah. Pilot owns Namiki now. I don't know. Um, the guy to talk to would be the pen addict, Brad, Brad Dowdy. He would probably yeah. know all those details. Um, but uh, I noticed that, too. They seem very similar to me. Yeah, after, after a lifetime of using $3 pens, um, I bought one of those Pilot um, fountain pens hmm. and I, it's a mixture of joy and terror owning it because <laughs> it really writes well it's a really great pen and i'm constantly panicked that i'm gonna lose it i've never had this with a pen <laughs> i don't know i don't know what my feeling about this pen is but I, i'm enjoying using it for now well and they're, they're not cheap i think uh isn't that about 120 bucks something yeah. like that yeah 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 oh, <laughs> i can't so you, i still can't get over the fact that i spent that much money on a pen i don't know hmm. But anyway, they they are nice. I'll tell you that. I'm going to ask you at Macworld if I can borrow a pen. I'm not taking it to Macworld. This is like <laughs> my it's like my precious. No, they, do you have like a special like bamboo case for it and everything? No, I just stick it in my pocket. Okay. Have you guys tried the uh, the space pens at all? Have you uh, explored those? Because no, those, you know, I, that could be a nice small pocket pen. I got um I think. Who was it that came on our show and was talking about um, jet pens and got me into jet pens? I, I think it might have been, I don't know who it was. I they, think it was Michael Lopp. It was probably Michael Lopp. Yeah. But the, uh, he turned me onto these zebra pens um, mm. that you Sarasa? get through. Yeah. And uh, they're pretty nice. And and once again, I like a really fine point. And okay. it's part, partly because I write so poorly that if I have a finer point, there's a, a better chance that whoever's reading it can discern what i what i was trying to say and so they have a really nice fine point gel pen that i use but anyway i you know i don't want to go there because it, it's Before easy to we get turn obsessive. into a pen podcast yeah exactly it's easy <laughs> and, to and there is a pen podcast isn't there isn't there one on 70 yeah. decibels yeah the pen or, addict uh, yeah. brad dowdy and mike uh, mike early do the pen addict it's a great podcast and brad also does the pen addict website and he's he does reviews and super knowledgeable he's on app.net and twitter so you can find i think it's dowdyism 
on in both places. So he's super knowledgeable. He'll answer any question you have. So he's the pen. He's the pen go to guy. Yeah. Well, Mike, before we get out of here, um, give us a quick summary of of this book that you've got. Um, where can people find it? I know you've got a bunch of different versions available, so it's very unique in that sense that you've got a physical book, you've got video, you've you've got digital books. Give us the rundown of of what's available, where it can where where you can get it, and 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 all the options there. Sure. Uh, well, the book is uh, essentially, in a nutshell, it's a manual about sketch noting, how I came to it, how I make use of it, and then how you can use it too. Um, break down not only the the process of sketch noting, but then for the non artists who choose to read it, um, really simple ways to get into drawing, drawing people and faces. Uh, simple objects, building a library of objects in your memory. And so that's that's pretty much the topics of the book. I tried to keep it uh, as detailed as I could, but also, you know, easy to get into and, and a quick, relatively quick read. It's all illustrated. There are 15 other people that uh, took two-page spreads and sort of shared their way into sketchnoting, so that's also in there. Um, and the place, probably the easiest place to go and find most information is uh, on my own site. That's rowdesign.com slash book and uh, we've got uh, i've got a sample uh chapter four you can download all of chapter four as a pdf um, i've got a sample of the video there we've got all kinds of information and quotes and pictures and so you can see what the book looks like so you can get all kinds of information before you even decide to to purchase as well as links to amazon and all the other places you can buy it um it comes in a couple of versions there's the basic book version and that's essentially the book there's a video version, and the video version comes with an envelope in the back with a code that you go to peachpit.com, create an account, and enter that code, and then you can watch uh, a series of 20 videos that I had uh, created with my friends Brian and Gabe to help uh, show you visually how I do sketch noting. So the great thing about the book is it's a reference you can look at any time. The videos are great because you can actually see me doing the drawing and seeing how it works. In particular, in the middle, there's, an, I think, a nine-minute video of me sketchnoting a presentation uh, by someone. So you can see how I'm listening and what it is that I'm capturing. You can see the things that I choose to capture and the things I choose to let go. And it sort of gives you a feeling for what it might look like to sketchnote yourself, as well as uh, the simple drawing techniques are included as well. Um, you can buy the video by itself. Um, you can buy a PDF version. So if you, uh, if you're not interested in the book itself, you can get a PDF, you can get the video as well online, uh, for streaming and all those are available at peachpit.com. Uh, the physical book and the, the physical book with the video code are available at Amazon and any bookstore. So, uh, and if you have a local bookstore you want to work through, you can grab the ISBN number and always request it. So that's another way to go as well. Yeah, well, it is a great okay. book, and if you're interested at all in this stuff, I, I highly recommend it. I love the book, Mike, and um, and I want to thank you for taking the time to make it because this is truly a labor of love looking through this book. Well, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on and share a little bit about it. We, we talked about a lot of stuff today, and you can find hopefully links to everything that we talked about on our site at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, on the Mac Power User site, you can also leave feedback and comments if you've got a particular app that you like or one that you favor that maybe we didn't talk about and you want to share with the community at large. That's the best way to do it. You can also reach us uh, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. That's an email that comes to both Katie and I. 
And uh, you can reach us on Twitter. It's at Mac Power Users. And Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. Mike, what's your uh, Twitter handle? Mine is Rodesign, R-O-H-D-E-S-I-G-N. Thanks. Excellent. Um, and uh, thanks to our sponsors for this episode, One Password, Connected Data, Squarespace, and Fujitsu. We wouldn't be able to do this show without them. And stay tuned because next week we are going to do a much-anticipated show uh, talking all about websites and creating them, maintaining them, blogging, and the various kinds of platforms. Uh, it's, it's just going to be a, a wealth of information, and, and I think we're going to have a special guest on to help us help us manage and wade through some of that. Yeah, we've got a friend that does a lot of this stuff and is going to say uh, share his knowledge. So we'll see you next time. And in the meantime, have a great week. Mm-hmm.